Welcome to Kitchen Table Conversations, a series of short and shareable conversation starters for those of us who have or love and support people with a complicated and beautiful brain. Here's your host, Angela Geddes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Kitchen Table Conversations. I'm your host, Angela, and just want to take a minute to thank you so much for tuning in today. And uh, it is my hope that you find this conversation interesting and maybe it's shedding a little bit of of a different light on a perspective or a topic area. And it's my hope, again, that you take this this conversation back to your kitchen tables and, uh, and certainly share this podcast if you find it helpful and meaningful. Once again, the purpose of this podcast is to bring conversations and learning opportunities back home to where our most meaningful learning takes place. Um, I think that if you really think about it, particularly when it comes to parenting or family relationships, we learn how to navigate that around our own kitchen tables. We really do hear the valuable information that comes from the people who we love and we trust and we respect. And so if, for example, we have an environment that, that doesn't quite understand emotional safety or, you know, effective parenting strategies, you know, we're going to learn that around our own kitchen table. And if people think that, you know, formula is too expensive and it's okay to feed kids carnation milk, for example, or 2% milk rather than homogenized milk, if we've done that for years in our family and that's what's worked for us, we might not be as willing to listen to some of the research. But if some people within that dynamic learn new things and bring it home to their con- their kitchen tables and challenge some of our historical decisions or, or, or our historical, you know, parenting styles and strategies, that's where um, meaningful change can take place. So once again, thanks so much for tuning in. My most recent newsletter, um, and if you're interested in the newsletter, just feel free to go to my website and connect and subscribe because I try to to share some important information and what we're up to through that avenue as well. And this week, we've been talking about empowering our future helpers. So I've been spending some time at a local community college in the child and youth care programs um, in three separate schools here. And I'm just really, really honored to be able to share space and to be able to impact brand new um, helpers that are just entering the field. And the the timing for this this session in the fall here is just before they hit um, their first placement. And uh, the feedback so far has been really, really interesting. So, so impactful and so, so meaningful to sit in, to stand in a classroom in front of a bunch of very interested young learners flipping through the pages of my book. I have to say it was a bit surreal. Um, But I, after, this last uh, course, I got a really, really nice email from a student who went on to say that his name was Daniel, and that he was present in the in that lecture that took place um, around fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and prenatal alcohol exposure. And he wanted to say that he read my book in the summertime. um, And that it really truly shaped his knowledge and approach. He says, I read it while working at a summer camp and realized that many of the behavioral differences that I was seeing, such as having to reteach the same boundary rules over and over again, could possibly be linked to undiagnosed 
fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. So that knowledge completely revolutionized my approach and allowed me to truly provide better and more understanding care for those kids. I started working with more compassion and understanding, and while I didn't always see a huge change in behavior, I saw a difference in the moods and the emotions of the children. Their days were overall better, and they were happier. I was also able to recognize a likely case of FASD in a family member who had prenatal alcohol exposure and other substance exposures, but because he doesn't have facial features, it was never really considered and was brushed aside that his prenatal alcohol exposure must not have had an impact. Instead, his dismaturity and general life difficulties were attributed to autism spectrum disorder and various learning disabilities. Because I was able to offer some additional information and resources after reading your book, FASD is now being considered. I just wanted to thank you for the information and resources. It was truly informative and super helpful as I prepare for my field placement. Thanks again, Daniel. So again, very surreal, very uh, honored to be sharing this information in ways that people find meaningful. There is always so much to learn, and I continue to learn on a regular basis. You know, one of the things that we really work towards is, again, broadening the audience and increasing the understanding of the risks associated with prenatal alcohol exposure. And I often say, and I can truly say, that I have never worked with anyone who has um, intentionally harmed their babies. I've worked with a lot of biological families who were unaware of the pregnancy, unaware that, that, um, that there was such a consequence that would result from even smaller amounts of alcohol use. And I've also worked with people who struggled with addictions, who've said to me, I wish they would have locked me up. I wish they would have put me in a safe place where I wouldn't have access to alcohol. I did not want to do this to my, to my child. So I can honestly say that I've never met anyone who's done this on purpose. However, I have been hearing from people with lived experience who are a little tired of us being so what's the word, I guess? I guess people are feeling like we're not being as honest and as straightforward as we need to be, and we're not holding people accountable. I've heard people with lived experience wonder why physicians and other health practitioners are not being sued for continually offering misinformation around the safety or the, their perception of, of relative safety with small or moderate amounts of, of drinking. Um, I've had I've seen it where nurse practitioners have told um, individuals who struggled with addictions, you know, if you stop now, your baby will be fine. Um, and this is like five months into it. So this is not correct information and this is misinformation. And we as professionals should be held accountable for the information that we're sharing. Um, but there's also a lot of misinformation that's available through media, through pregnancy apps. I think I've mentioned it in previous episodes that the information around the risks associated with alcohol exposure um, to the pregnancy was sort of minimized and it was a very permissive approach um, indicating that, yeah, the medical com community is a little bit over-concerned. Um, so if you have any questions, maybe just check with your doctor. Um, you know, and this kind of thing leads people to feel like it's not that big a deal. Um, there are also books that challenge the research that, you know, and there was one study apparently that claimed to prove that uh, small amounts of alcohol actually resulted in improved health and um, behavioral and 
cognitive functioning in their young children that they tested. So I won't go into a lot of details here, but I think most of us will understand that alcohol provides no nutritional value whatsoever. It is a toxin and it does do damage. It does do damage to adults, so it certainly will do damage um, to a, a pregnancy. And let me be clear, not everyone who's exposed to alcohol will result in notable mental health and learning difficulties. And certainly not everyone who's exposed to alcohol will result with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. But it is important for us to understand that there is a direct link to the increased rates of mental health and learning conditions and complex neurodevelopmental disorders and our culture's consumption of of alcohol. So there's no question about that. So, but again, this misinformation is, is, loud and clear, and seemingly something that we want to hear more of rather than um, about the risks. And I can tell you that people with lived experience who struggle with the impact of prenatal substance exposures are getting a little tired of the dismissal and the misinformation. And I really hear that from them. You know, I hear people on a regular basis say this, you know, my parents don't deserve to have me the way that I am right now. Uh, I'm here for counseling because I want to have, I want other people to have it easier. I want to be nicer to other people. I want to be more successful. I want people to understand me more. I want to feel like I belong more. Um, You know, the struggles are real. And um, I, I think that that has to be forefront in our messaging as well. So as long as we approach this with a compassionate and trauma-informed um, approach to our alcohol use and consumption, but we also have to be able to give people the information that they need in order to make informed decisions. And so um, I was on LinkedIn just yesterday, actually, and Miranda Bazell, who is an FASD self-advocate, who has been impacted herself, indicates that, uh, you know, I hear the uh, often people say, I never met a mom who would purposely harm their child. And I know we always say this to reduce the stigma and the shame and the blame. I want to make it clear that I know that there are many out there that did not know beforehand about alcohol and pregnancy and what it can do. Um, there are outdated documents and misinformation and many unplanned pregnancies and a few other factors and reasons. But then she goes on to say, this is like saying I never met a foster mom or dad that would purposely harm their child. When meanwhile, recently in BC alone, a lawyer is filing a lawsuit against the BC ministry and children and family for thousands of abuse cases. She goes on to describe really horrific circumstances that are involved in this lawsuit. So in the cases of alcohol, she says, there are many out there that do know the harm that it can do very loud and clear and still do so. She goes on to say substance addiction or not, not even mental health issues wise, the kids later, such as myself, back in the day and still do get the short end of the stick of discrimination, bullying, health issues, being misunderstood, not believed, and the list goes on. There are a lot of stories out there I heard or been told and feel that need to be told. Sometimes there are bad cases of neglect and carelessness, and brushing it off as a way of excuses just doesn't sit right with her. 
So again, we need to balance, you know, uh, the needs of individuals impacted by prenatal alcohol exposure and the, um, the parents and the caregivers who are also living with this. So the fact of the matter and the fact remains that alcohol is a huge part of our culture. The drinking guidelines have changed that give us clear evidence that alcohol is not healthy for us. But we as adults get to make decisions around that. And I can tell you that alcohol is not going away anytime soon. So we do need to work with it. But we also need to be accountable around the risks that we are taking, particularly when they impact others. I used this example yesterday when I offered some training to a network of community action programs for children where I said there's a bit of a difference between my adult decision to slip into the car and run to the grocery store and not put my seatbelt on um, and live with the consequences that may happen to me, but it's a whole different ballgame if I do not put a seatbelt on my young child or place her into the seat, the car seat that she should be in. That's, that's a different, you know, that's a different uh, decision that we're making and that we need to be accountable for that. And our system does, does its best to make us accountable. So again, I can honestly say I've never worked with anybody who's deliberately harmed their baby. And I've worked with a lot of people who continue to be surprised by the impacts of even small and moderate amounts of drinking or even the role of alcohol in pregnancy overall. I am, you know, I'm always amazed when I do the training to watch the jaws drop when we talk about the statistics, when we talk about the fact that fewer than 10% of the people we know who've been diagnosed with FASD actually have the facial features. But what about the 99% of the people who have FASD that don't know it due to our lack of diagnostic services. We know that people do better when there's diagnostic clarity. And it shouldn't be that people have to drive almost six hours to come to see me in order to get some, um, you know, further understanding and to pursue diagnostic clarity. Once again, I cannot diagnose, but I can certainly help screen and assess. And my book and my efforts and my training and my continued um, efforts, even in terms of this kitchen table conversation, is to bring these conversations back home to our own kitchen tables, our own families. Once you learn more about this, you will see it. You will see it more often. Um, it's just fascinating to me that in my practice, I got a referral over the last couple of weeks for a young, a young man who came to me with mood um, issues and you know some low mood and a little bit of anxiety and some relationship issues. And within a very short time frame, and you know before the first session was over, we were able to identify intergenerational uh, mental health and addictions and intergenerational. Um, prenatal alcohol exposures and very complicated mental health presentations within um, five of his immediate and, and slightly extended family members. So this is, you know, this was supposed to be me supporting somebody with relationship issues and depression and anxiety. And I can tell you, I can't support him in the same way anymore now that I know this information because it won't be as helpful. And this journey for him is going to take longer and it's going to be a little bit meandering and it's going to be a little bit more complicated than it would have been had it just been anxiety and depression. So once again, thanks so much for tuning in. 
bring this home to your kitchen table conversations and feel free to reach out to me with any ideas or topic areas um, and some feedback. Let me know what you think of these podcasts. Um, So, so grateful with many thanks, Angela.